Okay, you guys ready to get some wisdom from the Word? If you did not get a handout on your way in, you can raise your hand and the Connections team will get you a set of paper notes. Otherwise, you can get the digital PDF off the social links, YouTube, Facebook, mbtkc.org. You should be able to get the the digital PDF and it's got fill in the blank. Uh, You can just tab through and just type in uh, your notes. Okay, so we're in Proverbs chapter 12 and uh, Will said I went way too fast last week. Well, he hadn't seen anything yet, so pray for Will and the translation into to Spanish. Okay, so we're going to see the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And what we're going to see here are a series of antithetical, just contrasting proverbs. So contrast between the righteous and the wicked. First, right, in verses one through three, we see their um, character. Verse one says, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth Reproof is brutish. Okay, so people who love knowledge, if they love truth, they go get it. Okay, that's your first blank. They go get it. So we want to be praying for LFBI. Uh, we've got a new semester going. This is where we do instruction. At, uh, it's at the level where it equips people to do the work of the ministry. People who love truth, they do what it takes to obtain it. They love instruction. Uh, so they love knowledge. Now there's a danger, 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us, of following false knowledge, okay, fuzzy knowledge. Uh, we're to keep the word of God, 1 Timothy 6 verse 20. We want to avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. And it can get so bad what you're seeing on the PowerPoint is uh, a witching stick or a divining rod. And there are people who call that science. No, the way that works is with a familiar spirit. And uh, it's things like that, devices like that have even found their way into ministry in local churches. And that's just how messed up it can get if you don't stay true to the word of God. You'll follow sciences, quote unquote sciences, but they're falsely so-called. So beware because this means, this unbiblical misinformation is growing by orders of magnitude on the internet. Uh, every, everyone has a, has a pulpit, you know, everybody has an opportunity to spread false teaching. And so just beware. Now, if you hate reproof, okay, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. If you hate the correction that will lead you to proper knowledge, well then you're being brutish. Brutish means stupid. Let the whole church say stupid. It means foolish. Now, Asaph is a good example here. He was envious of the wicked, of the foolish and the wicked, and it almost messed up his faith in his walk with God. In Psalm 73, we see him grousing about how the evil man seems like he's getting away with it, and then he got convicted over his temper tantrum before the Lord, and in Psalm 73, verse 22, the way he described himself was, so foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast. I was as a beast before thee. I was brutish. I was being foolish. I was thinking like a dumb animal. So get this down in your notes, right? Beware. Whenever you think like an animal, you will act like an animal, okay? If you think like one, you'll act like one. And how many people didn't think biblically over human history, and as a result, millions of people have been murdered through man-made systems of religion, like Marxism, 
Nazism, I mean, think about the killing fields of Cambodia. Man-made worldviews tend to barbarism because they're brutish, they're not biblical. So here's the key, there's always hope for the brutish. You, see, you know, if you think, man, am I brutish? Well, listen to Agur. In, in Proverbs chapter 30, Agur says about himself in Proverbs 30 verse two, surely I'm more brutish than any man. I'm at the bottom of the knowledge pile in terms of my ability to understand. I neither learned wisdom nor have gained knowledge of the holy. And then in verses four, uh, in verse four, he asks some of the most profound questions about the creator you're gonna ever read. But what's the solution to being brutish? Well, it's verse five. How do we stop being stupid and get the critical answers that we require, that we desperately need? Verse five, he, he gives the solution. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add not to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. See, when a dummy will say, right? When a stupid person will say, you know what? I don't have all the answers, but I know where they are. I don't know everything, but I know where everything important is. Whenever the dummy can finally say, you know what? I don't have to, I don't have to know, the Bible knows. So what does the Bible say? Okay, you are on the path to instruction. That's smart. Doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what I say. What does the Bible tell me to think? What does the Bible tell me to say? God's right, that settles it for me. That is the path out of being brutish and uh, being, being profitable. All right, verse number two. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he contemn, or condemn. So here it's favor versus condemnation. A good man obtains favor, and so I'll give you some homework on this. We've kind of seen this principle a few times, so I'll just give this to you for you to study out. A man of wicked devices will he condemn. Okay, so just study out Psalms 109, verses six through 20. That's your homework. And see if you can make some observations. A good man, God gives favor. A, a man who is always pulling something, God will condemn. Uh, they cannot, look at verse three. It's because they cannot be established by that wickedness. Look at that. A man shall not be established by wickedness. So of course, the man of wicked devices has to be condemned. Because God can't let him, he can't let him be established in that. And this was the problem that, that Asaph had. He thought the wicked were being established by wicked devices. And he thought that until he, he, he finally went into the temple of the Lord and the word of God set him straight. And then he saw, okay, I was thinking in a brutish way, in a foolish way, in a stupid way, in an animalistic, in a brute way. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Okay, so those who are in right relationship with God, God's favor over the righteous, he establishes them. And so there's a wonderful picture here in the second half of verse three. Who but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Well, we have a who as a root. Who is our root? We talked about this on Sunday, you know, if you're newer to church. Half of the questions, that's right, half of the questions, the answer to them will be Jesus. Jesus is our root. We see that in Romans chapter 15, verses eight through 12, and it's really referencing Isaiah 11, verse one. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Chapter 11, verse 10, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an inside of the people, 
To it shall the Gentiles seek. That's me and you. We have sought after and we've found that root and his, Jesus' rest shall be glorious. So we know who that root is that will not be moved in our life. So it's established and you see a great illustration or a great example of that in Matthew chapter seven. How are, we, how are we established? The root of the righteous shall not be moved. How are we established? How are we unmovable? Well, you got the story of a wise man who builds his house on a rock and whenever the trials of life come, he's not moved, right? The, 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 the storms come, the rain descends, the floods come, the winds blow, it beats on the house, and it fell not because it's founded upon a rock. Now the foolish man built his house on something movable. He builds it on the sand, it's something movable. And whenever the elements come against what he's built with his life, well then great is the fall of it. So if we are built upon that rock, okay, so that root, you'll see him also as that rock, and that rock's name is Jesus, right? You wanna be anchored to Jesus, all right. Now let's look at the righteous and the wicked. Let's look at their wives. Let's look at the wives, there's some buzz, okay, well. Here we go, Lord help me. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. All right, here we go. Virtuous means worth, that's your next blank. If you look it up in Strong's, you'll see it's, prop, it's a force, probably a force, whether men or means or other resources. You see it as, in the Bible, as an army or as wealth, valor, virtue, strength, a worthy woman, a virtuous woman, is a crown to her husband. Okay, have you ever looked at your wife and said, my crown? A worthy woman is a crown to her husband. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Jewish Bible, the order of the books are a little bit different. What comes after Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible? You know what book comes after Proverbs? If you look at your notes, you'll figure it out. Jesus, no, it's the book of Ruth. It's the book of Ruth. Comes after Proverbs, right after, so, so, so in, your, in your Hebrew Bible, you're reading Proverbs chapter 31, and that's all about which woman? The, Jesus, no, virtuous woman. The virtuous woman, and then you see one in the book of Ruth. Is everybody with me? I mean, just the way God ordered that was so, was so brilliant and so beautiful. beautiful. So you can't miss what this virtuous woman looks like. She looks like Ruth, and yeah, she's fine, but she's much more than that. Ruth's got this amazing heart for God. She's a hard worker, she's full of faith. So get this down. Here's the thing, I mean, here's how it works, ladies. When you got it, everyone knows it. When you got it, everyone knows it. Ruth chapter three, verse 11. Look at what he says to Ruth. And now my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a worthy, thou art a virtuous woman. Man, Boaz was blessed because Proverbs 31 verse 10 just said, who can find a virtuous woman for her price as far above rubies? What are you sticking a crown? 
right? It's full of rubies, right? It's full of precious items, this crown. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. And when you see her in action in Proverbs chapter 31, whenever you see the example in the book of Ruth, a virtuous woman, she builds her house, doesn't she? She builds the house of her family. And you can read that in Proverbs 31. So she is this asset that is, you can't replace her with financial means. Can't be done. All the money in the world can't replace who she is to her family. So she's a crown. And anytime you see a crown, it's not lying under a pile of trash, is it? Crowns are always cared for, aren't they? Crowns are always revered. Crowns are always respected. They're always held in a place of high honor, aren't they? A virtuous woman, everyone, if she's got it, everyone knows it and everyone respects her. Do you see that? So ladies, if you're feeling like Rodney Dangerfield, I can't get no respect, stop sowing to the flesh, quit reaping corruption, start sowing to the spirit, right? Start sowing virtue, right? Get into the word and learn what it means to be a virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous woman? Everyone's looking. So here's how virtuous women roll. In 1 Timothy chapter two, she's not focused, verse nine, on the bling that she can, you know. She's not, in terms of her hair, her makeup, her, uh, her outfit, her, it's not all about bringing that 100. It's verse 10. She adorns herself, right, how, verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. She's all about living out her relationship with God. Titus chapter two, verse three, says that they're in behavior as becometh holiness. They don't live like the lost world, verse three. And they give their life, verse four, in investing it in the lives of other women. The elder women teach the younger women to be virtuous women, to be the Proverbs 31 woman. So a virtuous woman is a crown, but she that maketh ashamed is rottenness in his bone. Okay, so ashamed, rottenness in his bones. Okay, it's like a cancer. It's like a cancer in her husband's life. So everything else can be going okay, and she could look like a million bucks, and she can make, I mean, she could, I mean, she can just blow up that dress, man. I mean, it just, it's, she can just nuke it. She's so hot. But she's making ashamed, so she's making her husband miserable. That's, that's what we're seeing here. It says rottenness in his bones. It's painful. So Proverbs, Proverbs the book of Proverbs makes sure to point out what this pain that a woman can bring to her husband what form that comes in, and uh, we'll just go on a quick tour. I don't want to spend any time here, really, but I just want to point this out, okay? Proverbs make sure that the women know what makes their man miserable. Proverbs 19, verse 13, the contentions of a wife are continual dropping. Drip, 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 it just never stops. Chapter 21, verse nine says, it is better to dwell in a corner on the housetop. I mean, just be exposed to the elements than with a brawling woman in a white house. It's better to just be quasi-homeless than to be in a, mini ma- in a mansion with a brawling woman. 
And that verse is such a big deal, it's listed twice verbatim. Proverbs 25, verse 24 says the exact same thing. Uh, so pay attention to that. Nobody wants to fight with their wife. Proverbs 21, verse 19, it's better to dwell in the wilderness, just full on homeless, than with a contentious and angry woman. Chapter 27, verse 15 says, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand, which bereath itself. Contentious, okay, so notice the pattern. Men don't wanna fight with it. Now, you, if, uh, we're speaking stereo, stereotypically here, okay? Some guys are just jerks and all they wanna do is fight. Um, man, who can? <laughs> Who can win like that, right? Some, did somebody amen that really big? <laughs> Thank God it wasn't Cheryl. She's with LeVon tonight, so. <laughs> she, she may be with LeVon saying, yeah. Okay, so. Notice the pattern, okay? So ladies, what you don't wanna do is try to admin your husband to death, especially when it's not welcome. Some husbands are saying, hey, I need you to ad- administrate this part of my life, or, or, or maybe all of it, I don't know, there's probably something wrong with that. Don't try to admin your husband where it's not welcome. No one wants to be set upon all the time. Do you get what Proverbs is trying, how Proverbs is trying to clue the ladies in? So it doesn't come across painful like a cancer in the bones, okay. So what are we really talking about? Nobody wants to be Oh, you said it, I didn't say that. So, so there's shame in this. How is that? A woman, she that maketh ashamed is rottenness in his bones. Ashamed how? Well, in Proverbs 2, you remember we saw in verse 17, this woman that forsook, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. On some level, she's not faithful, she's unfaithful, whether it's to God, whether it's to her marriage vows, or even if it's just to the relationship that God designed her to have with her husband. Can I just tell you this, ladies? You say, well, I have to stay on my husband because he's just so clueless. Uh, how's he gonna grow up when you're, living your, when you're living his life for him? How's he gonna do that? Um, the, the, one of the the best judo moves you can make in your marriage relationship is just you fulfill the role that God has for you with your spouse. You be the woman that God's called you to be, right? You Ephesians 5 him, you, pro- you trust God to be a Proverbs 31, right? A Titus chapter two woman. You trust God to grow into that role and he is God's problem. You pray for him. You be who God designed you to be in his life and that's, gonna, God, that's, that's the rock that God's gonna use to break his heart over, to, 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 to break his spirit over. That's how it worked with Cheryl and I. You guys have heard the story a number of times. You know, She learned contentment in Christ and that changed the dynamic of our marriage relationship. Whereas before we were both frustrated with each other because we weren't meeting each other's expectations and that would just gender strife and conflict. And sometimes it would come across like painful, you know? I'd be tempted to think there's some cancer in our relationship from time to time. Whenever she got a hold of the fact that her contentment, her joy, her peace, her life would be satisfied in her relationship with the person of Christ himself and Christ alone, 
and that it was just her job to love and honor, right, to submit to her husband, to be the woman that God called her to be in the life of her spouse. And then I was God's problem. She didn't try to, she, she quit being frustrated with me. She didn't keep trying to fix me or let me know how I wasn't meeting her expectations. She just became the woman. She, I mean, didn't happen overnight. She started endeavoring to be the woman that God called her to be. She began to just fulfill the role that God designed for her and it changed our, I mean, it broke my heart whenever she told me. You know, I said, Cheryl, what happened? I mean, who are you? What have you done with my wife? Never mind. <laughs> I'll keep you. <laughs> what in the world? And when she told me that, I just, it was all I could do to stay in the conversation. I was so ashamed that my wife entered into Christian maturity ahead of me. But praise the Lord. Okay, very quickly, uh, let me get you your blanks. The rest of this I'll give to you as homework. Verse five, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. Uh, you can see an example of wicked thinking, Genesis 6, 5, that had to be destroyed. Remember Genesis 6? Versus right thinking, the thoughts of the righteous are right. Let this mind be in you, which was also in the person of Christ himself, where he lays down his life loving us. So how do we get our thoughts right? Well, we bring every thought captive, right? We bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10. Verse six, the words of the wicked are to lie and wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. Again, we keep going back to it because it's just so, it just, it's such a perfect illustration of what we're talking about here. Haman, his words were meant to destroy Mordecai and his people, so the answer there is Ephesians, or Esther, sorry, Esther chapter seven. Wicked words have to be exposed for what they are. So Esther's mouth delivers Mordecai and the nation of Israel. You see that same thing in the example of Moses. His mouth saved the nation of Israel from the wrath of God. You read about that in Numbers 14. Verse seven, the wicked are overthrown and are not because, here it is, the house of the righteous shall stand. So you compare the kingdoms, the house of the wicked. There's a wicked prince in Ezekiel 20. His kingdom doesn't stand. Remember the wicked, we saw this at the beginning of our study tonight. The man of wicked devices, God will condemn, verse two. Verse three, because no one can be established by wickedness, verse three. So the wicked prince, his kingdom falls, but then you read about the kingdom of Jesus, the prince of peace, in Isaiah chapter nine. And it is of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Psalms 1.5 says it this way, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Right, verse eight, a man shall be condemned, or commended, a man shall be commended according to his wisdom, but he that is of a perverse heart shall be despised. Again, we've looked at wisdom many times, Proverbs 3.15, wisdom is that's everything. She's more precious than rubies. But if I have a perverse heart, if I have a despisable thought process, how do I deal with that? Uh, so here's some more homework. If there's something wrong with your thought processes, you want to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does, what does Jesus say about the way I'm thinking? And so I need to start learning to reckon rightly according to the word of God. 
I think, I feel. No, what does the Bible say? So I began to practice, I began to exercise that. But at the same time, I asked the Lord to show me. Psalms 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's so critical that we be willing to ask for God to, I mean, if there are, if there are things in our life that are grievous to him, they're contrary to his word, they're grievous to the Holy Spirit, we need to repent of those things. Repentance is always the answer. Anything that doesn't line up with the word of God, man, I wasn't thinking right. I wasn't rolling right. I, I wasn't even feeling right. Here's what the Bible says, and so Lord, I wanna agree with your word over this sin that's in my life. And so help me God by your grace, I'm going to think what your word says. I'm gonna follow what your word says. And that may be, you may go back to that over and over again, but if you'll keep going back to it and you'll keep endeavoring in the word, eventually you're not gonna have a perverse way of thinking. You're gonna be thinking with wisdom, amen? I love you, we just went a little over time. Three pages of notes in 20 minutes. Man, praise the Lord. Will Mata hates me right now. God bless you. You are dismissed.